calling Pete Arbogast, Hall of Fame voice of the USC Trojans. Welcome back to another episode of Let Me Tell You. Today we have an amazing guest. I'm your host, Walker Brooks, and we have Peter Arbogast, the voice of the USC Trojans football radio broadcast. Thank you for coming on. You bet. Glad to be here. Give us a 30-second elevator pitch about yourself. Give me a what kind of pitch? Elevator pitch. Like you see someone in the elevator and then you're introducing yourself and what you say to them so they know who you are and what you do. Gotcha. All right. I'm the 30-plus year Hall of Fame radio voice of the USC Trojans. And I've done tons of other things in the media business, movies and commercials and TV shows. And and I also work as a camp director at the YMCA every year. And there's all kinds of other secrets in there. Well, that is an awesome introduction. I'll tell you that. Hall of Fame broadcast. That's so cool. How did you wind up with this job? Well, I always wanted to do it. My dad took me to games when I was a kid. And then I started listening to games on the radio. And I kind of said to myself, I can do that. I want to do that. I went to school and studied broadcasting in college uh, and journalism as well. I went to small town radio stations, kind of honed my craft. And then the, I was I happened to get back to Los Angeles, got onto the station on which the USC games were being broadcast, doing uh, weekend sports updates and fill-in news anchoring and stuff like that. And when the guy that had the job before me, who's had it for some uh, 30 years, I decided to move over to cable TV to do the USC games on, on TV. Then I ended up uh, getting the job. I had a lot of friends chimed in, and I had some talent and some help and some luck, and, and it all worked out. Kind of just like everything in life, timing, luck, and everything kind of works. It really out. is. Yeah. During the past year and a half, a lot of people have been working home during COVID. So that, that, that got me wondering because it offers a new perspective into people's lives. So is your house, your office, is it just a shrine to the Trojan or are all your memorabilia and stuff kind of secluded <laughs> into a home office? Oddly, I divested myself of my memorabilia lately. I had a program collection of every USC program from 1935 home and away till, till this year. And I sold that last year for a decent chunk of change. I don't have a lot of memorabilia anymore. I, it, it was just stuff and I kind of gave it away. My kids have some of it and I gave some of it away. No, it is not a shrine. No, by no means. Small two bedroom apartment in Venice Beach, California that costs way too much. It doesn't have a whole lot of room. So we have to kind of pare back what we did have. And, you know, the, the COVID thing didn't, didn't affect me very much other than not being able to go to practice, which they stopped allowing because of it. But otherwise, I'm kind of a homebody anyway. And I do most of my work from there and watch games and films and so on from home. So it really didn't change me in my life very much at all, except that friends of mine, you know, caught the virus and died. Other than that, not a lot. You're just sticking with the memories of every game you've been to instead of actually having to need the physical thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I've kind of always been like that, but I like having programs. I have ticket stubs still and some books and, you know, a few things, sure, right. but not, not a ton. The programs were, I mean, that was in a lot of binders and took up a great deal of space. I used to have a baseball card collection that was oh, wow. similar. And I sold, I sold that as well. I had I had virtually every card from 1957 on through when I sold them in the in the 90s. And so I got rid of those too. You know, they're just things, and eventually you just remember them. C plays Notre Dame and UCLA, which I believe are two of the biggest names and biggest rivalries in college sports. 
So what sticks out to you when you think of those matchups and those memories? Well, with UCLA, you have to live with the people in the same town. And families are split down the middle. Friends, friendships suffer as a result of the rivalry. It's tough, that one. Especially if you lose, which USC doesn't do very often to UCLA. It happens once in a while in football. So, so that's the kind of rivalry that is. It's so intense because it's so close. They're only 12 miles away as the crow flies. With Notre Dame, it's different. There, there's a, there is a respect. It's, it's East Coast versus, I mean, even though they're in the Midwest, it's East versus West. It's a different style of football. Going there to their shrine is great, and they come to our place, and the Coliseum is, is such a wonderful venue in the United States. And, and it's a kind of game that everybody pays attention to across the country. That may not be the case with, with many other games. But with USC-Notre Dame, when it's on TV, that's when people stop and, and watch that game, no matter who they are. It, it's, a, it's more important nationally. Right. I agree with you. That is more important nationally. So I wanted to talk to you about, actually, it's a step away slightly from the football games, but rather, so USC games are, they seem to be more than just a football game, but rather a who's who of who shows up. Do you have like a favorite celebrity okay. sighting you've seen on the sideline? Well, there hasn't been that much of that lately right, since recently. the, you know, they they had the violations in the NCAA kind of put a cramp down on that. When Pete Carroll was coaching in those days, it was it was a full full pack of people six deep on the sideline on both sides. It, it was quite the spectacle, and at practice too. It was the place to be and and come and be seen. Will Ferrell was a a guy that came to practice all the time and the games and and Snoop Dogg. Uh, that, those kinds of guys were there all the time. Um, not so much anymore. My favorite was in the booth. I, 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 it was halftime of the game, and I was getting up to go get a cookie and go to the restroom. As I turned, I was talking to somebody, and I turned to try to walk through the door, and I ran into the chest and stomach of Magic Johnson. Wow. Who was, he was as, he's as big as the doorway. And so, I, and then you look up and you go, oh, it's Magic Johnson. So that was kind of fun. You know, it's, it's pretty rare that those kinds of guys come into the booth, but he did for whatever reason that day. That is really cool. Magic Johnson is one of those names that's just synonymous throughout all of sports yeah, and life. Yeah. I think it transcends. Yeah, from, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You run into a guy like that, and you're like, oh, wait. I mean, purely from just a physical standpoint, he's very intimidating because he's a tall person. And then you see him, you realize it's Magic. You've been coming to Pullman for a long time doing the USC broadcast, so I'm wondering if you had a favorite story about the late, great Bob Robertson, former voice of the Cougars. Well, Pullman's, Pullman's a great city. If truth be known, it's my if, – if I wasn't doing USC games and, and that job opened and I could apply for it, I, I, it's a lovely college town, that and Moscow, back, back and forth. Because we usually stay in Moscow when we're there. There are a couple of things with Bobby. First time I ever met him was the first year I had the job in 1989. And we were staying at the University Inn in Moscow. I left my hotel room to go down and get a snack. And I walked by a quiet bar. And I don't think it's called that anymore. And my predecessor, Tom Kelly, was holding court with the members of the media, an old gray-haired guy who I did not know. Everybody was quiet except the two of them who had known each other for 30 years already. And they were telling stories back and forth, and everybody was laughing and cracking up. And it's, it's these two old veteran broadcasters telling these stories. And that's when I came to meet Bob Robertson. And then over the years, 
every year that we would be in Pullman or they would be in L.A. Uh, not only did I make the point, but he made a point of visiting with the other broadcaster. I do that, too, you know, because they're, they're friends and guys I've known for a long time. He was the guy, you know, he would talk football with you a little bit. But he was more interested in your in your life and how your career was going, how you got the job, what about your family, current events, that kind of thing. He wanted to talk about other stuff besides football, and it was a half hour conversation having a having a bite to eat before the game with the guy that ended up being being a real friend. And I think he was he's the kind of guy Walker who would make you think that he was your best friend in the world and you were his best friend in the world. And I. I'm guessing he did that to a lot of people. Wow! I uh, thank you for the story. I've never, I never actually had the privilege of meeting him, but based on all the stories I've heard, it all—he just seems like an amazing and a, a wonderful human being. I still, every year we play Washington State, and on my final broadcast of the year, when I'm saying goodbye, whether it's a bowl game or the last game of the regular season, I always mention him at the very end when I've thanked everyone. And I mentioned him, and then I sign off with "Be a good sport always, and be a good sport in all ways." I I think that's amazing. I think that's one of the best quotes, and it's just a a great way to live life. You've been obviously last week's plane ride did not go as well. The plane tipped over, but you've been flying into a bunch <laughs> of you flew into Lewiston, very small air airport, but then you've also gone into a bunch of other small little college towns. In UCLA, they uh, USC tends to get players from. L.A., California, all over the place. What have been some of the best reactions from players when they land in these tiny little towns? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's that so much. As especially, like, this was the first trip we took this year. There were a bunch of guys that never left L.A. before, never flown on a plane before. So they had to tip over backwards and, and do a little wheelie there. It was a bit of a shock. And we've had our yeah. share of tough flights over the years, in the 30 years plus, and the We've had a wing drag on the on the runway and shoot up sparks. We had we had a 200 foot drop going into South Bend one year where, where players weren't. They told everybody to buckle up and then they didn't. And, and of course, when you hit the drop, everybody goes right up to the ceiling. That quiet that quieted them down a little bit after that. Yeah, I don't know that, that they they worry about that. You know, all we do is get on a plane, get on a bus, go to the hotel, right. get back on a bus, go to the stadium. We don't see much of the town as as the player the players don't. Broadcasters and media guys do because we all go out to a meal or we'll take a run through town. You get to see a little bit more of the city than than, than these other guys, the, the kids do. But I don't think they see very much of it really, except when they're in the bus. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So I do a little speed round. They're just quick, rapid fire questions that are just supposed to give a right. deeper look at the person. You ready? Right, favorite Pullman slash Moscow restaurant you've eaten at? Well, we have usually it's an administration thing. We go out wherever they take us. Ah. But you know, for fun, Ferdinand's obviously. Ooh, I love that answer. Great answer. What 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 is there an ice cream flavor you get there that you like particularly? I'm big on Huckleberry. I'm a white white chocolate milkshake guy. Yeah. Yeah, I need to have a milkshake every I time. I haven't had it yet. I need to. Yeah, the white chocolate. I'm a white chocolate fan, so putting it in a milkshake just makes it even better. Can't beat it. Do you have any pet peeves while broadcasting? What you hear other broadcasters do or people do while you're broadcasting? <laughs> oh, yeah, I try not to be too hypercritical of other guys, but uh, you can just tell when they're not that good and they're just phoning it in. You know, my real pet peeve is when they get too excited for an average play. Oh, okay. They go over the top when it's a three-yard runoff tackle and it's 
I mean, nobody, who cares? Right. Uh, save the excitement for the big plays and don't be phony about it. Uh, you know, be, be enthusiastic when enthusiasm is called for. That, that ticks me off. I think that those are some fair criticisms. So my last question is, if you could call a football game with anyone living or dead besides your current color man, who would it be? Well, I'd have to call in Vince Scully. I think he's the, the, the best announcer in, in many sports that I've ever heard. I would be sheepish to be the play-by-play guy with Vince Scully, but it would be really interesting to have him as my analyst in a, in a ball game of some sort. It'd be kind of fun. And just to share the time with him. I know him well, and he's a friend. But to work with him side-by-side, I think that'd be pretty cool. Right. I, I was going to say Vince Scully, I think, is an amazing person to pick. I remember this one story on a Giants-Dodgers broad, Giants broadcast. Madison Bumgarner was pitching, and then in between pitches, he described this absurd story of, like, Mattis Mumgarner's wife saving a cow from a stake in between pitches. Like, it was just the flow of the game. Like, he described it perfectly, and then he would tell the story, and you go, this guy's incredible. One of my favorite things he does, and I tried to do, it's rare that you get the opportunity in football to do this, is at the end of the season, the Dodgers would be a pennant race with the Giants, for instance, like they are now. Right. He would be describing the game in front of him, but he'd also be watching the TV and watching the Giants game and describing that between pitches at the same time to let you know what's going on in their game as the two games came to an end. And I can only remember one time, the end of the season, USC had to win and Cal had to beat UCLA in order for USC to go to the Rose Bowl. And so our game was just finishing and their game had a few minutes left and when it ended, I started calling the Cal-UCLA game off the TV, and, and that was kind of an homage to what Zinni had, had taught us as, as listeners when, when we were younger. And it worked, and, and Cal won the game. That's incredible. I, I love that story. Thank you. Those are all my questions. I really appreciate you taking the time on vacation to come on the podcast. You bet. Thanks for having me. Listen, I love him. Walker, but he looked like he was 18 Listen, or 19. He looked like a young guy. Ben, yeah. you should have done this guy right. What, I get him a stripper? What do you no, want me to do here? Buy him I mean, a drink. I get him a prostitute. What, 